Hello, everybody. My name's Tim. I'm uh, one of the guys that speaks here. I'm glad y'all are here. Hope by the time we're done, you'll be glad you're here too. Uh, it's been a while, but it was back in uh, May of 2000. People all over the world, nobody knows really how many, got this email. And they did something they shouldn't have done. You know what they did? They opened it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all across first Asia and Europe and then eventually the United States, uh, servers started clogging and people's hard drives and whatever started getting overwritten and eventually IT managers all began questioning their career choice. And... Uh, it wasn't just people, individuals, who got uh, sucked into that one. Uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, Department of Defense, CIA, you name it. 45 million computer servers w- worldwide got hit by this thing. Uh, $15 billion to repair the damage done in the United States alone. And, and, and it wasn't that this virus was so technologically advanced that made it so dangerous. It, it, it was the, the words in the subject line that made it so dangerous. Does, does anybody know the name of this virus I'm talking about? Oh, I love you too. <laughs> oh, no, actually, no, actually it was. It was called the I love you virus. Here's, here's what it looked like. And, uh, you know, it said, I love you, and then kindly check the attached love letter. And people saw that, not just like regular people like me and you, but like people at the Pentagon and stuff saw that and said, hmm. (laughs) And uh, it's interesting because uh, words are such a powerful thing. I thought that was about as good an open introduction for Valentine's Day weekend as I could think of. And, um, you know, we've all heard that old thing that sticks and stones can break your bones, but... But words will never, will, will never hurt me. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break my bones and words will crash your hard drive is, is what, what, what they'll do. But uh, really, it's actually, if you think about it, it it's, the, it's the positive side of those words that made them so dangerously alluring because words have immense power not only to destroy but also to transform. And uh, those words were irresistible to a whole lot of folks. And I want to share with you a story today uh, about the power of words. And this story contains the words that probably more than any other have changed my life. It's a story from the Bible, which... Big surprise. Uh, about Peter. A lot of folks have heard of Peter, you know, one of the disciples, you know, the, the Apostle Peter, you know, Saint Peter, Catholic folk, uh, you know, first pope and all that. Uh, but to really get this story, we got to get Peter's life before he became a spiritual big wheel. See, as I've shared with you before, Peter was a goof. Peter was kind of a knucklehead, and uh, 
He was one of those guys. He was impulsive. He was brash. He was hot and he was cold. And he thought he knew it all. And then he didn't know anything. And he would try so hard and then he'd mess up. You know, at the time, you know, Jesus doesn't walk on the water. He starts walking on the water. But then he loses his whatever and starts sinking. And Jesus has to fish him out. And his life was a, a, just a litany of, of screw-ups and and missteps and failures. I mean, the night before Jesus died at the Last Supper, Jesus said, uh, you're all going to leave me. And Peter, of course, chimes in. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I mean, Peter swears loyalty to the death he promises he'll never fail Jesus. Then they come for Jesus to arrest him. Peter starts to make good on his promise, draws his sword to start to throw down. And Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Violence isn't the way, you goofball. I added that last part. <laughs> so they take Jesus away and Peter follows along safely at a distance. And in the middle of the night, they have this mock trial so they can execute Jesus as soon as possible. And, 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 and as be, Jesus is being tried, it says that, that Peter's uh, hanging out in the courtyard out, out, outside the court where he was being tried. And, and it says that in this courtyard, somebody comes up to Peter and says, oh, you're, you're, you're one of Jesus' men, right? And... and Peter, the spiritual giant, said, I am not. Or if you're in third grade, I am not. And, and, and then look what it says. Look what it says. It says it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire. They had to keep warm, which sounds pretty good to me this morning. It says Peter also was standing around them, around the fire, with them warming himself. Now, seemingly little insignificant you know, kind of narrative detail. Now, a lot more going on. Remember that part. Remember that part about the fire, okay? Which part are you going to remember? Fire. About the fire. Very, very good. It's a pop quiz by the Toss Your Softball there. And uh, remember that. Then another person comes up to, G, to Peter and says, you, you were, you were one of, you're, you're one of his. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And then a third person comes up to him and says, oh, I, yeah, 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 you are. And look what the Gospel of Matthew says that Peter said. Peter, the great spiritual giant, uh, says, uh, well, he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Now, Jesus had predicted that before the rooster would crow that morning, Peter would deny him not once but three times. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And in Luke's gospel, it says that when he said that and the rooster crowed, that somehow across the courtyard that Peter caught Jesus' eye right at that moment. Can you imagine? I mean, he knew. And he knew that Jesus knew. You know? And it says he went outside and Peter wept bitterly. 
Don't, don't answer out loud. Did you ever weep bitterly? I mean, other than when the Bears signed Jay Cutler to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I mean, I mean, weeping bitterly over a mistake you've made. And it's just tearing you up. You, you can't believe you did it. Or something you've done in the past, something you regret. You, you, ever, you ever wept bitterly? I sure have. But that's not the story. That's actually the back story. And, and, and the back story is so important because the story I want to tell you is the story that happens uh, after he'd blown it. So after he'd blown it, after he denied Jesus, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the Bible says that the disciples go out fishing and they're fishing all night and they don't catch anything. Interesting to me that the disciples, most of them were fishermen for a living, yet they're never catching anything. I bet their wives were so pleased with their career success. But then this figure calls out from the shore and says, Hey, uh, cast your nets on the other side. And they're like, what the heck? And they do. And then fish are pretty much jumping in the boat. And Peter realizes it's Jesus and head for shore. And look what the Bible says. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. They saw fire. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. In, in the original language of the New Testament, Biblical Greek, there's lots of different words for fire. You know, like they say, Eskimos have X number of words for snow. And there's lots of different words for fire. Same thing in English. But in, in Greek, there's lots of words for fire. But this word here, fire burning coals, is, is, is a, a, a somewhat unusual word for the word fire. In fact, it only occurs one other place in the entire Bible. Guess where? With guess who? Mm. Same word for the fire around which Peter had denied Jesus. And if you're scoring the story at this point, the music would go, dun, 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 dun. So here's Peter. As far as we know, first conversation with Jesus around a fire, fire that's no doubt reminding him of his greatest failures, the ones over which he went out and wept bitterly. And, and look what it says what happens. It says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, see, Peter was his, a name that Jesus had given him, his his his. His birth name was Simon, and his daddy's name was John. So Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John. Well, he asks him, he, he, he asks him, do you love me? Now, now, this fascinates me to no end. Think of all the things that Jesus could have asked him at that point. I mean, he, Peter has denied him, cursed him three times in front of God and everybody. And Jesus could have asked him a whole lot of things. I mean, Jesus could have said, Peter, how, how could you do such a thing? Peter, didn't I warn you that you were going to do that? I mean, Peter, uh, uh, what's your problem? Or are you sorry? Or can I trust you? How, how, how could I ever trust you again? Or like, Peter, dude, what's, what's the deal? 
Jesus said do to Lot. But instead, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Now think about it. Now don't hear that like Jesus saying, well, don't you love me anymore? It wasn't like that. No, he says, do you love me? And here's what I think he meant by that question. Maybe you remember back to grade school, believe it or not, I do. And uh, you'd be sitting there at your desk or at lunch or something and somebody would walk by and they'd drop a little square of paper on your, on your desk or on your, on your tray. Remember this? And you'd open it up and you knew what it was going to say. I love you. Do you love me? Then underneath there'd be two little boxes. <laughs> Check, yes or no. Now, here's what everybody knows, even in grade school. Nobody gives you a note asking if you love them if they don't love you. Right? I mean, I don't mean to be mean or anything, but if I, if I don't love you, I don't care if you love me. I don't care if you do. I don't care if you don't. And I hope we can get it this morning. Maybe, just maybe get it this morning. That when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? That really what he was saying was, I love you. You love me? Check yes or no. I believe those were the words that Peter needed to hear more than any other at that moment. Because they were saying to him, I know what you've done. And it changes nothing. I love you. You love me? Now let me ask you, don't, don't answer this one out loud, but let me ask you, if you were out someplace today and Jesus were to materialize in front of you Star Trek style and you were to happen to have a one-on-one, you know, eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, face-to-face conversation with the Lord today, what do you think he'd say to you? Why didn't you go to church more? Why didn't you read your Bible more? How come you didn't pray more often? How come you fell asleep all the time when you were praying? You know, how could you look at those things on the internet? How could you do that to somebody? How could you act like that? What were you thinking? Dude, what is your problem? I believe that if today you were to have an eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe, face-to-face conversation with him, and he'd look at you and he'd say, I love you. You love me? 
And see, to get the full impact, y'all, of Jesus saying this, we've got to remember. I mean, I know what somebody's thinking. Well, talk is cheap and, you know, actions speak louder than words. Okay. Jesus said in John 15, 16, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There's some action for you. Another place, Jesus said something that means a lot to me as well. He said, he said no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Please, come on now. Please don't think Jesus was a victim. He was innocent, all right, but he wasn't a victim. What he did, he did on purpose. What he did, he did of his own volition. He did it willingly. And, and, I, and I, some of y'all I know, most of y'all I don't. I, and I wonder if you know, like way down deep in your knower, that when he says, I lay my life down willingly, that you know he means willingly for you. Because see, that's what I need to know. I need to know that despite all my failures, despite all my flaws, despite all my denials and rejection and backsliding, despite all my hot one, min- one minute and cold the next, despite my best intentions that turn out to be not much more than big talk or wishful thinking, I need to know that despite all that stuff I feel the worst about that I don't want any of y'all to know about, that despite all my broken promises... That he comes to me today, and really every day, and he says, I love you. Do you love me? Check yes or no. Any country music fans in the house? All right. Officially, if you're a country music fan, you're supposed to say yee-haw when I ask that. Any country music fans in the house? Yeehaw. There you go. Y'all say yee-haw like a bunch of Yankees. <laughs> but there's an old country. See, where I'm from, there's only two kinds of music, country and western. And, and uh, there's an old song back from the 80s. Anybody remember that, that song? I think it was the lead cut, the title cut, or the, like the soundtrack from... That 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 uh, John Travolta movie, Urban Cowboy. Does anybody remember that song called "Looking for Love"? Remember that song, "Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places." I think Eddie Murphy did a parody of it on Saturday Night Live. Wookin' Panub. Wookin' Penub. Thank you. Thank you very much. I like that. Wookin' Penub. Uh, his impression of buckwheat. You don't have to be a country music fan or a buckwheat fan to know that that's pretty much true of all of us. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I know so many women who look for it in guy after guy after guy. I know so many guys who look for it in one sexual conquest after another after another. I know so many women and so many men who look for it in success and accomplishment and power and how many decimal points there are in their salary or in their 
retirement account. I, I know for I know so many who look for it at the bottom of a bottle or in a bottle of pills or at least looking for a way to escape or forget how badly they want it. See, the story, the story all of the one who says, no matter what, I love you. Do you love me? I tell you a story because those words are what I hold on to. Because I just try and hold on to the words of the one who holds on to me no matter what. He, 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 holds, he holds on to me relentlessly. He holds on to me tirelessly. He holds on to me tenaciously. His love is without measure, reserve, or demand, or expiration date. His love will not tire out, burn out, fizzle out, or run out. And let's make no mistake about it. He's the only one. He's the only one like that. No man has ever loved you. No woman could ever love you as he has loved you. And whatever you think you need in life right now, as y'all were walking in today, I was kind of looking at you from the back. Creepy, huh? (laughs) I was wondering what it is this morning you think you were telling yourself you need. I, I just need more money. I just need more time. I just need a boyfriend. I just need a girlfriend. I just need a better marriage. I just need children. I just need my children to move out. <laughs> that wasn't nice. I apologize. <laughs> Go ahead. Say I'm not being theologically deep or complex. That's all right. I I believe this is what you really need. I believe this is what I need. I need someone who comes to me who says, no matter who you are or what you've done, Tim, I love you. Do you love me? Check yes or no. And see, this, this is no gimmick, y'all. This, this, this is no computer virus. Come on. And the love letter attached to this email is for real, and it's really for you. And it's signed in blood. I, I, I just really believe his kind of love is what your heart needs. Not just Valentine's weekend. That kind of love can change everything. That kind of love can 
change your marriage. That kind of love can change your family. That kind of love can change your career. That kind of love can change your finances. And oh yeah, that kind of love can change your forever So I guess this Valentine's weekend's kind of a checkpoint of sorts. Are you going to keep looking for love in all the wrong places? Or are you going to open yourself to holding on? Just holding on to the one whose love holds on to you? Let me say a prayer. God help us. It's hard. We think we got it all figured out, Lord. I just need this. I just need that. If I can just get this or have that or succeed at this or not fail at that. That's what I need. Well, I know you understand. But help us to understand. That there is only one love that never fails. That there is only one love that no matter what we've done... will always hold on. Help us to learn what it means to hold on back. 